This is Chad Roberts, and you're listening to Awaken to Grace. Today we are in week two of a series called Battling Unbelief. We saw in week one how Moses became very impatient. We saw how Moses reacted in his impatience, which was a form of unbelief. Well, today we're going to be in the next chapter, Numbers chapter 21, and we're going to see how the children of Israel complained their impatience turn to complaining. We're going to see today how complaining is a form of unbelief. I hope these sermons are building your faith. If you have never downloaded our free mobile app, I want to encourage you to download Awakened to Grace by searching on your Apple Store or your Google Play, wherever you get your apps. Make sure you download Awakened to Grace and also download our weekly podcast. Awaken to Grace with Chad Roberts. Today we're going to focus on complaining and how it hurt the children of Israel and how it hurts us in our own life today. I want to define what unbelief is. Uh, if you're taking notes today, let's make sure we understand that we have a very biblical and very accurate meaning of what unbelief is. Unbelief is when you know what God says and what God expects, and yet we think and we behave opposite. When we think and we act opposite of what God says and what God expects. Friends, that is unbelief. We said last week, if the Bible tells me, Chad, do not worry, for worry is a sin. Do not be anxious about anything. And then I sit there and I allow myself to worry. Have I sinned? Am I living in unbelief? Yes. Because when I know what God says... And when I know what God expects, and I do the opposite, that is a form. It is a form of, world, uh, of unbelief. Next week, when we talk about worldliness, the Bible, says we, the Bible says believers cannot be in friendship with the world, for it is enmity with God. The Bible says, if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. These are serious matters. And so we're going to talk about unbelief in their various forms so that we can attack it and not allow it to stand in our life, not grow comfortable in it, but then we can attack it and remove it out of our hearts. I want you to go to Numbers chapter 21. Last week we were in chapter 20, and last week we talked about the sin of unbelief in the form of impatience. Today we're going to see impatience continue in the text, but we're going to see how impatience leads to complaining. Be assured, they're related to one another. They're first cousins. They're close. And the one leads into the other. And today we're going to talk about 
the unbelief of complaining. Now, it's interesting, in the first three verses of chapter 21, and again, this is a continuation of chapter 20, we saw in chapter 20 that Moses loses his older sister, his protective sister, Miriam. She dies at the beginning of the chapter. Incredible blow to Moses. That triggered the internal pressures he faced. And then, of course, the children of Israel grumbled and quarreled and came against Moses, which triggered the external pressures and caused him to become impatient and angry and sin against the Lord by striking the rock twice rather than speaking to it. And we gave all the meaning of what we understand that to mean. But what we did not do is finish the chapter last week, and we see at the end of the chapter, Aaron dies. This is the brother of Moses. So in the beginning of chapter 20, he loses Miriam, his older sister. At the end of the chapter, he loses Aaron, his brother. This is a transition time for the people of Israel. I want you to note that, number one today. This is a transition period for the people of Israel. When we go to chapter 21... No longer is Israel going to be wandering in the desert. At this point, they're going to begin marching toward the promised land. They're not there yet, and it's still certainly a promise of God, and it's not realized yet, but they are marching. They are on their way. They are on the brink of Jordan. They're on the brink of entering what God has promised. And it's interesting that in this chapter, in chapter 21, there are going to be some first and there are going to be some last. I want you to note, first of all, in this transition period, this is going to be the first time that Israel encounters the Canaanites. And the Canaanites are going to be a sworn enemy of Israel. And Israel is going to face this Canaanite army. And Israel is not ready for the fight. And the Bible says that the Canaanites, verses 1, 2, and 3, the Bible says that the Canaanites took many prisoners, and Israel was not prepared to fight. Boy, is that not a picture of the church today? So often the church is not prepared for spiritual warfare. We know more about our sports. We know more about our favorite actors and actresses. We know more about our our interests and we know more about celebrities. We know more about the daily gossip and the daily news. But we know so little that we're unable to face our enemy. And for many of us, Satan has come and he's got our children. And he's got our grandchildren. And he's got our loved ones. And they're in the throes of spiritual warfare. And so many of us, we don't know how to go to war. And let me tell you, if the enemy ever comes fiercely against your family, if the enemy ever comes fiercely against your health, let me tell you, the best people you could ever put yourself around are people of prayer. The best thing you could ever do is come to prayer meeting. The best thing you can do is get around people who know how to go to war. Amen? And will go to war on your behalf. Sadly, many of us are not ready for the fight. Many of us are not ready. This week, I'm talking about complaining, and I was thinking back some weeks ago, maybe, maybe a month or two ago. Boy, Satan's so sly, isn't he? And he's such a liar, isn't he? Does he ever lie to you? He's the father of lies, is what Jesus told him. 
And one day I began just counting some of the things that I was so thankful for. And there were, you know, maybe like 11 big things that uh, if, if you're a guest today, perhaps you don't know that I'm blind. And this season of blindness, this newness of blindness, I've been blind for, for just, uh, you know, maybe about 15 months now that I've been completely blind. And it's changed my life, as you can imagine, in many ways. And I was counting how much my life has changed, but things that I still do and things I still enjoy even though I'm blind. And, and while I'm thinking about this and I'm saying, Lord, I thank you that, that I'm still able to do this. Or I thank you, God, that while I'm blind, I, I still do this and I still do that. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it's like Satan ambushed me. He ever ambush you? Speak lies to you? Jump on your back? And it was as though that father of lies said to me, you're thanking God, but for what? Look what your life has been reduced down to. You can't count but a handful of things that you now enjoy. Went ready for such an ambush. I had to fight off depression for a couple of days as I thought about that. And then one morning, we're at the breakfast table eating breakfast, and I told Sadie what I was feeling. And I said, I just, you know, I feel like while I'm thankful for some things, it, it's reduced down to just this. And I was telling her of whatever it was. And my wonderful, Godly, growing like crazy wife. You know what she said to me? She didn't coddle me. She didn't say, oh, I'm so sorry. You know what she said? She said, oh, that's crazy. She said, that's Satan talking to you. That's not God. She said, let me see, let me tell you what I see. She said, I see that there are some things that you enjoy, but beyond that, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And you're stronger now than I've ever seen you. Amen? Amen. Praise God for that. And I took hold of that and I said, that's right. That's exactly right. I am stronger. Hallelujah. I'm stronger now than I've ever been. Let me tell you the God's honest truth. I get done more. I accomplish more today without eyesight than I did with eyesight. And then I was able to say, you're a liar, devil. You're a liar. And the ambush was over. Amen. <laughs> and so Canaan came against Israel. They took these captives. And watch what Israel did. Verses 2, verse 3. They began to cry out to the Lord. They weren't ready for the fight. They weren't, re they weren't ready for this battle. But they began to cry out to the Lord. And the Bible says that the Lord heeded their cries. <laughs> the Bible says in Peter that his eyes are on the righteous and his ears are always open to their prayer. Amen? God's, his ear is open to you today. And they began to cry out to the Lord and the Lord heeded their voice and they told God, they said, if you would empower us and you would help us, we'll devote all of Canaanites, we'll devote them to destruction. And sure enough, that's what they did. 
And God empowered them and they won for the first time. For the first time, Israel won the war. Amen? God blessed and God honored. Now this is a new generation, understand. This is not the, I I say for the first time, listen, this is not the people that crossed the Red Sea. Do you understand? These are the sons and the daughters of those who crossed the Red Sea. These are the sons and daughters who came out of Egypt. And so this is a great transition period. The fathers and mothers have died off. Miriam has died off. Aaron has died off. Moses is about to die. This is a great transition period. And this is a brand new generation. This generation didn't cross the Red Sea. They were either too little to remember or they weren't yet born. And they knew nothing of Egypt. And watch what they say in the text. I think maybe verse 5. They say, why did you bring us up out of Egypt? Why, these people didn't even know Egypt. Why have you brought us out here to die? Why did they say this? This is a new generation. Because that's what they heard their fathers and mothers say. And they got discouraged along the way. Now watch this. Don't miss this, okay? Because I feel in my heart today that there's some that are listening, whether you're in the building or you're watching online, there are some who are listening today that you can't figure out why you're discouraged. God is helping you. God is strengthening you. But then you feel times of discouragement. Like me, a couple of weeks ago. I mean, God is strengthening me as never before, and God is doing things in my life that I've only prayed about, only dreamed about, and God is doing more than what I can even calculate right now in this moment, but yet this great moment of discouragement still came. And there's a phrase here in verse number 4 that I don't want you to miss. Now remember, it's a transition period. And I want you to watch carefully what the Bible has to say. After the victory of Canaan, after they were victorious, then the Bible says that along the way, they grew impatient. Along the way. Impatience came in them along the way. That's got me thinking this week. What does my way look like? As I'm on this pilgrimage, as I'm on this journey, as you are walking through the stages of your life, through the stages of your family, through the stages of your Christian experience, as we are along the way, where are you today? Are you filled with frustration? Do you have more questions than you have answers? Do you wrestle with doubt? Do you fight fear? Are you anxious today? Are you impatient today? Where are you along the way? Friends, if we're not careful, we can know the victories of God and then get discouraged and then get impatient and then get into a place of complaining along the way of blessing. Some of us are like the children of Israel. Victory is so near us. 
We're not wandering out in nowhere. We're marching toward the promised land. And some of us don't realize how near, how close victory truly is. But we're discouraged along the way. I don't know who this is for today. But you need to examine where you are today. And if along the way you are impatient, you're doubtful, you're fearful, we need to take this text today to heart. Now, the people are going to come to Moses and watch carefully. This is going to be a threefold complaint. Look in verse 5. The people are going to complain, number one, against God. Number two, against his servant Moses. And number three, against God's provision. They are literally going to call the manna from heaven, the manna that God provided every day, literally angels' food, the manna from heaven, they're going to call it worthless food. And this is a threefold complaint. Now, watch number one if you're taking notes. Number one, they complain against God. I want us to understand today, every sin, all sin in our life is ultimately a sin against God. Do you realize that? Ultimately, all sin is against God Almighty. You can sin against yourself. You can sin against other people. But ultimately, it is a sin against God Almighty. The example of this is King David. When King David was in literally the pinnacle, literally the summit of his kingship. He was at the very top of his kingship. David got lazy. And rather than being on the battlefield, David stayed home in, the, in wartime. He, stayed home. he had no business being home. He should have been on the battlefield. And he stayed in a place of comfort because he had reached the summit. He had reached the pinnacle. And he was in a very dangerous place. And some of you know the story. He was on the rooftop of his palace. And all of a sudden he sees a gorgeous woman, a married woman, named Bathsheba, bathing. And we know the story that he had an affair with Bathsheba and she ends up pregnant. And to try to cover it up, he brings home Bathsheba's husband from war, hoping that he'll stay the night with his wife and no one will ever know. But Uriah is too smart, too, I'm sorry, not smart, too loyal for that. And he stays at the palace instead of going home to his beautiful wife. Now David's in a Real bad situation. So David sends him to the front lines of the war knowing he would be killed. And God accounted it to David as murder. Here David sinned against his own body. David sinned against Bathsheba. David certainly sinned against Bathsheba's husband. But ultimately in all that mess, ultimately in all that sin, ultimately in all all that tangled web of lies and deception and all that it entailed. You know what David said? Against thee and thee only have I sinned. Friends, do you see your sin 
against God Almighty? That is the right view to have of Scripture. It's the right view to have of our own failures, of our own sins. These people ultimately complained against God. And friends, I want you to hear my heart today. When you and I allow complaining to go unchecked, when you and I complain about our lot in life, when we complain about the hand that we've been dealt, when we complain about the season of life we're in or the financial state we're in or the whatever, you can add a hundred things to that list. When you and I find ourselves complaining, friends, ultimately it's against God. It's ultimately against God. And it is a form of unbelief. What happened to Israel? That God heeded their voice and gave them such a triumph, gave them such a victory, gave them such a miraculous win. And then along the way, they grew impatient and began to complain. Friends, the same thing happens to you and I. God will help us, but if we're not careful along the way, we get sideways. So their sin, number one, was against God. Number two, they sinned against Moses. They complained toward the man of God. And Moses is unbelievable. Moses certainly has his faults. He was as human as any other man is human. But the Bible says he was the meekest man who ever lived. And I believe that when you read how he dealt with Israel. I can't imagine what it was for Moses. I mean, here you've led, you've led the people of Israel for 40 years now. That stubborn and rebellious generation has all died off. And now you're dealing with their kids. And now these little, these little snot-nosed, <laughs> you've raised them in the wilderness. <laughs> You've, you've put up through their teenage years, right? <laughs> you've, you've watched them and they've tried to mature and now, and now they're talking just like their parents. Goodness gracious. What a tough job Moses had. And now they say something so silly as to why did you bring us up out of Egypt only to die in the wilderness? They don't even remember Egypt. How frustrating it had to have been for Moses. And then they complained against God's provision. They took the blessing. They took what God helped them with, gave to them. And they called it worthless. They literally called manna from heaven, they called it worthless. Why? Because something happened to them along the way. They grew impatient and they began to complain. Could this be where you are today? Do you view Holy Spirit, speak to us right now. Speak to us right now, Holy Spirit. Do you view your marriage as worthless? And yet God gave you your spouse? Do you view your job, that job that you were so excited to get in the beginning, that job that provides you income, 
that job that provides you shelter, has it become worthless in your sight? Is that your view spiritually, perhaps, of your church? That maybe you've grown disgruntled here or disgruntled there? And somehow, along your way, you've began to complain. And what God has sent into your life to be blessings, what God has sent as gifts, what God has sent to to help you and sustain you and to bless you, you now view as worthless. Along the way, where are you today? Along the way. Now, I said there's some first in this chapter. It's the first win for this new generation. It's the first time that they're going to encounter the Canaanites, and the Canaanites would forever be an enemy of Israel. You know, Israel had many enemies, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites. I mean, a lot of ites there. And today Israel has many enemies, don't they? You know, it's interesting that Israel is the only nation, it is the only people group, He's the only race of the earth who has a complete recorded past, present, and future. God is not done with Israel, amen? And so the Canaanites, it was their first win. It was the, it was not only the the first time that they would face them, and the first great victory of this new generation. But, but listen to this. When Israel complained against God and against Moses and against his provision, watch this. This is the eighth time that Israel has complained against the Lord that's recorded for us. The eighth time that Israel has said, why'd you bring us up out of Egypt? Things are better back there. Why, why have you brought us to die in the wilderness? Eight times the Bible is going to record their complaining. And friends, this is the last time that Israel is going to complain like this. God is going to teach Israel a lesson. God is going to, God is going to do a permanent attitude adjustment on these Israeli millennials <laughs> who, is, who is brand new and And they're going to learn real quick, you can't be like your stubborn fathers and mothers. So watch what happens. Verse number six, God sends fiery serpents amidst the people. Now, when I think of this in my head, I picture, you know, like a small group of people. No, listen, at this point, scholars tell us that they estimate Israel at this point to be about a million and a half to two million people at this point. We're talking about an enormous amount of people. God sends fiery serpents among these people. God is going to teach Israel once and for all the serious lesson of complaining. 
Now, some people mistakenly think that the fiery serpents meant that they were bright red or it was fiery in color. No, what the actual original text indicates is that the fire, what, what, what it means by fiery is as they were bitten, as that venom went through their body, it was fire. It's fiery venom. And the Bible is going to record something so magnificent for us, so wonderful for us. If you remember last week when we talked about the rock, we saw out of, out of Corinthians chapter 10, we saw that the rock was represented Jesus Christ, right? Well, in the same way, because the entire Old Testament is a type and a shadow of Christ, this serpent, this, what God, God tells Moses to, to build a, a pole with a bronze serpent on it. And if the people would only look at it, they would be cured and they would be saved. That is going to represent Jesus. As the fiery serpents came upon the people, the people really for the first time in this generation truly confessed their sin. Come to Moses and said, Moses, we have sinned against you. We've sinned against God. Pray for us. These kids had grown up knowing that Moses was the real deal. Knowing that Moses could intercede on their behalf. They'd seen it their whole lives. And oh, the grace that was in this old man. I'm telling you, if people treated me the way they treated Moses, and then they wanted me to pray for them, Could you imagine, Moses? I would have said, let me think about it. (laughs) Let me pray about praying for you. Give me a day or two. (laughs) But that wasn't Moses' attitude at all. Moses loved his people. Moses began to intercede for them. And the Lord said, make a pole with the serpent on the pole. And tell the people to look and they'll live. So Moses takes a bronze, takes the metal bronze and makes a pole with a serpent on it. Friends, bronze in the Bible represents judgment. Judgment. I want you to hear in my heart today. God will judge your sin. The question is, is the judgment going to fall on you and you bear the weight and the judgment of sin or will the judgment fall upon Jesus Christ who came to bear your sin as well as the sins of the world? Where is the judgment of God going to land? On you or on Christ? This is the most beautiful example of Jesus Christ bearing our sins. For if you go to John chapter 3, and what a glorious chapter John chapter 3 is. And in John chapter 3, a man named Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night because he's embarrassed. And he sits down with Jesus, and at night, in the secrecy of night, he says, Jesus, I know that you're of God because no man can do the things you're doing except God be with him. Jesus says something stunning to him. Jesus says, except a man be born again, 
he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, did Jesus mean literally, physically see the kingdom of God? Probably in the sense of enter the kingdom of God. But listen, I think, I think it's got another meaning here. I think when Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he will not see. In other words, he will not perceive the kingdom of God. He cannot see it. He cannot perceive it. He cannot make sense of it. Last night, I went down a journey that I didn't at all intend to. I listened to a short little biography of Thomas Paine. As many of you know, Thomas Paine was a founder of our country. He's one of our founding fathers. Although he was brought over shortly before the war from England by Benjamin Franklin, and he wrote the book Common Sense, in 1776, which was a huge inspiration to the Revolutionary War. But after the war, Thomas Paine went to France. And there he wrote a book entitled The Age of Reason. Many of you will remember that from history classes. Or perhaps you've read the book. I had never read the book. I did not, what I did not know was when Thomas Paine came back to America and died in the very early 1800s, he wrote the, the Age of Reason in the late 1700s. I did not realize that because he was such a critic of Jesus Christ and of Christianity, he had turned colonial America so off With his blasphemy, only six people attended his funeral. So out of curiosity, I got the age of reason and listened to about an hour of it last night. I was appalled. I was stunned. I was shocked. I was amazed at the blasphemy of Thomas Paine. Thomas Paine thought that he was quite wise. He thought that he was very smart. But yet what he didn't realize as he railed against the word of God, what he didn't realize is that his lifespan was incredibly short in the grand scheme of things. And while Thomas Paine died many, 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 many years ago, the Word of God to this day is still alive and active. Amen? And it will be for all of eternity. And while our life is but a mist, while our life is but a vapor, it is here today and it is gone tomorrow. Oh, do not rely on your own foolish understanding. Don't rely upon that as Thomas Paine did. Because just as the rich man lifted up his eyes in hell, no doubt Thomas Paine is doing the same as of right now. He railed against Jesus Christ. Railed against the word of God. He went so far as to say that Christians call the Bible the word of God. And he said, I call it a word of demons. What I wouldn't have given to have a conversation with Thomas Paine. To have been able to sit down with him with John chapter 3 and say, Mr. Paine, you cannot see 
these things because you're not born again. Until you're born again, you will not perceive the kingdom of God. The carnal mind cannot understand, cannot accept the things of God. You must be born again. And so when Moses puts up this bronze pole with this bronze serpent, and when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the bronze serpent, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. (laughs) And what does John 3 tell us? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him will not perish. Amen. Will not perish but will have eternal life. Jesus said in verse 17, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. Jesus says in the Gospels, he said, I didn't come for the ones who are healthy and whole and think they're okay. I came for the sick because Christ is the remedy. And when you consider this venom of sin that is active in our lives and going throughout our bodies. What is the only remedy? What is the only cure? It is to look upon Christ and live. The conditions were so simple. Moses told the people, God told Moses, Moses told the people, the conditions were so simple. Simply look and live. If you will but look at the pole and the serpent, you will be healed. All they had to do was look. But how many people do you think in arrogance, in stubborn pride, how many people do you think sat in their tents and died? Because they wouldn't look. Friends, the same happens today in our world, in our society, in our culture, in our lifetimes, in our time span of history. The same happens today. The Bible says if you would but look and live upon Jesus, you would be saved. But how many of you are listening today And you've yet to look upon Christ. You look to yourself. You look for your own cure. You look for your own answer. You look for your own solution. But yet today, the remedy is so simple. If you would only look to Christ, then you would be saved. talking today about unbelief will you look to Christ today where are you along your way has life went wrong for you has life gotten hard for you have you been in a transition like the people of Israel that it's been a long long transition and somehow along the way You've gotten sideways with God.
I'm going to ask you to stand today with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I don't know where you are with the Lord today. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. But listen to me, friends, very carefully. I do not want you to attend this church and not go to heaven. I don't want you to attend this church because of your own reasoning, because of your own pride. You can attend this church and die and go straight to hell. Will you look to Christ today? I don't know how you grew up. I don't know what background you have. I don't know if you have been religious or never religious. I I don't know. I don't care. The gospel doesn't care. The gospel doesn't ask, are you religious? The gospel asks, are you saved? Are you born again? And this wicked culture would laugh and they would scorn the idea of being born again. Yet Jesus says, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. I wouldn't miss it for the world. Literally, the world. Literally, this godless, worldly age. I wouldn't miss it. I was appalled at the blasphemy of Thomas Paine. But is there unbelief in your life? Is there unbelief in your heart? Are you self-reliant? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, allow the Holy Spirit to work in you right now. Allow the Holy Spirit to work. Are there things you need to confess right now? Is there complaining going on unchecked in you? But yet today, the Holy Spirit's checked you. Praise God if he has. Is there impatience in your life because you're in a season of transition and it just feels like there's no end in sight and the longer it goes, the more angry you're growing, the more impatient you're growing? Let the Holy Spirit check that today. Have you refused to look to Christ and really admit that you need a Savior? Let the Holy Spirit check that today. Today, no matter where you are, no matter what your season of life, no matter where you are in your spirituality, no matter where you are with God, if you need to come to this altar for any reason, I want to invite you. Some of you are like the Canaanites. The enemy has got your loved ones held captive. The enemy has your children. The enemy has your spouse. The enemy has your parents. The enemy has the people that you love. And you need victory today. I want to invite you to the altars. If you need to come and pray for any reason, if you're coming to pray for a loved one, if you're coming to confess sin, if you're coming to confess impatience, if you're coming to get help with the sin of complaining, if you're coming because you need to look to Christ in salvation, I don't care what the reason, you slip out of your seat right now. You come to the altars and say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kneel before you. I'm going to stand before you today. I'm going to sit on the altar. I'm going to ask your help today, oh God. Don't leave me to myself. 
Don't leave me alone, oh God. Don't leave me alone. Don't leave me alone. And today, if your way is hard, if your journey is growing difficult, if your journey is getting harder, if this pilgrimage is difficult, let me tell you, the Bible says, He'll help you. Don't don't get frustrated along the way. Don't grow impatient along the way. Let God help you today. Let Him strengthen you today. Don't walk out the doors the same way that you walked in the doors. Deacons, deacons' wives, look and see who needs prayer today. You come right now. Slip out of your seat and just come and kneel before the Lord and say, God, I need your help. If you're unable to kneel, just stand. Stand and say, God, I stand before you vulnerable. I'm in transition. I'm in a place that I need strength. I'm in a place that I need help. Come help me, Lord. Look to Christ. Look and you'll live. Look and you will live. Look and you will live. Look and live. In Jesus' name. God, we lift you up today. You say, if the Son of Man is lifted up, you will draw all men into yourself, oh God. May you fulfill that word right now. Those who are listening online, God, would you fulfill your word and draw men and women students and children to yourself oh God draw them to yourself not to the just our church oh God draw them to yourself to yourself oh God draw them to yourself hallelujah hallelujah Lord strengthen those that have come strengthen those that are here at the altar for whatever reason strengthen them in the name of Jesus God, we confess our sins today, all of us, collectively, Lord. I confess my sin, Lord. Times of complaining, times of grumbling, times of ingratitude, times of just being ungrateful. God, I confess it in Jesus' name. Forgive me, oh God. Forgive me. Forgive me. Look and live in Jesus' name. Look and live in Jesus' name. Don't look to yourself. There's not enough strength there. There's there's not grace there. There's only grace in Jesus. There's only forgiveness in Jesus. Look to the cross today. Look and you'll live. Put your hope in Christ and you'll live. Put your trust in Jesus and you'll live. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for being lifted high on that cross. Thomas Paine despised the cross, but oh God, I cherish it. I cherish the old rugged cross. The emblem of suffering and shame. I cherish it, oh God. I cherish it. I cherish it. God, today we look to you. We look to you. We look to you. We look to you. And we'll take this sin of complaining. We'll take, <clears throat> we'll take the unbelief of complaining. And we will rid our lives. And we'll remove it in Jesus' name. We'll not allow it to stand. 
While people are praying, let me tell you just very briefly the rest of the story. So Israel's gonna go on and God's gonna give them water and they're gonna sing a glorious praise to the Lord in this chapter. But let me tell you what I wonder. I wonder for those who looked and were healed. See, it's these same people. They're gonna cross over Jordan. I wonder if when they, I wonder if the same people who were bit, I wonder if they forever had those scars of those fangs. I wonder if after they crossed Jordan, they saw the scars. I wonder if after they marched, while they were marching around Jericho, they saw the scars. I wonder if the scars never left because Israel never complained again. Friends, if the Lord has disciplined you, if he has disciplined your life, don't despise it. Let it serve as a reminder that ultimately God is good. Amen. Lord, we thank you today for the book of Numbers. We thank you today for what we've learned so far in the series of unbelief. Next week, God, next week, oh, I can't wait. You're going to speak so many things to so many people. Thank you, Lord God, for speaking to us today. God, I want to look to Jesus, and I want to be forgiven. I want to be healed. I want to live for God. Oh, God, I don't want to blaspheme you. I want to look to you, and I want to live. In Jesus' name, amen.